few weeks ago, Steve talked about micro-Eden, right? The church being like the restoration of Eden, where uh, there was fellowship with God, there was fellowship with each other, where sin, although we know we're never going to completely get rid of sin in our lives, it can be minimized in the church through the things that we do. Uh, then Steve talked a couple weeks ago about come as you are, right? The whole idea is it doesn't matter sort of who you are. The church is, is opens the doors to accept everyone, just as Jesus did. Amen. Amen. And then last week, Steve, by the way, I just really love the way Steve teaches us. Amen. Um, I'm probably not going to be as funny as Steve is. He has that sort of, that sort of offhandedness that I don't know how to do. Uh, but anyways, you know, I think that uh, this part is sort of, and last week Steve talked about part two, come as you are, part two. And this is sort of like part two, part two. Um, <laughs> You know, I think that uh, we, we've been talking about reaching out, and in Romans, you know, Romans is a really interesting book because of all the books in the New Testament, probably it spells out the basis for our faith and our understanding about life in the kingdom more than any other book, yeah. right? For 11 chapters, Paul just goes through, he talks about sin and separation from God, about faith, about grace about Eden restored, about the controversial questions surrounding our salvation. Who is saved? Who is not? The Jews and the Gentiles. I mean, he hits everything. Yeah. He hits everything that we need to know. And uh, I was just over in Italy teaching at the European School of Missions, and they have this sort of emphasis, I think they do this in Boston also, where they, they, they sort of talk about, you know, what you need to know and then that, what, how you need to be, and then what you need to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I thought that was a really interesting thing, but Paul definitely does that. And after these 11 chapters of amazing, of, uh, amazing theology that, that he says that, that should satisfy the intrinsic need for every one of us. You know, we all want to be motivated from the inside, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I would like to just be able to get up every morning and go, hey, man, I am on fire. I got it going. Yeah. Everything's working for me. I'm firing on all pistons. But reality is sometimes that it isn't always that way, you notice? Mm. Okay. Yep. I get up this morning, and I'm working on this lesson. I needed to put a few things on it. And I have a, ba a bathroom in the basement, and I went in, used the bathroom, and flushed the toilet, went back to my desk. And after about 10 minutes later, I'm going, you know what, I'm, I'm hearing something I shouldn't be hearing. Yeah. And I went in there and several things had gone wrong all at the same time and the toilet was just running onto the floor and got out into the rest of the basement. You know, it's not like sometimes the world hates us, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you know, we'd all want to be, we all want to be motivated. Yeah. But in, in chapter 12, in verse 1, Paul says, therefore. Now, You've probably heard this before, but whenever you see the word therefore, you've got to wonder what therefore is therefore, right? <laughs> and Paul is shifting gears here. He said, I've given you everything you need. I've given you everything you need to be motivated internally. But now let's get down to it. I urge you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. He's shifting gears. He's saying, now that you know all this stuff, you know, and I would guess most of, most of you in here, 
know enough to um, to be completely intrinsically motivated, right? Internally, you know it. You know what it is. It's hard to do. Yeah. But at some point, we just have to start doing things, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I believe that Paul here launches into a set of uh, just he just starts saying these are, as a result of all this that you know. Let's get down to business. Let's start doing something. Let's change our lives. Let's make things different. Amen. You know, he talks about um, he talks about it being a sacrifice. Mm -hmm. Now, I know, I mean, there are very few of us who naturally like to sacrifice. The whole idea of sacrifice is that we're going beyond, we're going a step beyond where we normally would operate, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we give money, and then we realize that that there's somebody who needs money and wasn't in our budget, and we go, okay, I think I can make that work even though it's not in the budget. We sacrifice to meet a need. Uh, someone calls us up, hey, bro, you know, my wife just had a kid and I need some help with something. Uh, you know, we set aside the time to do that, right? We sacrifice. Yeah. And that's expected of us, right? We understand this. It's not very complicated. One of the things that I think is really interesting as I'm observing the church is that we somehow, you know, I worked for 30 years for an engineering firm. And uh, I deliberately did not get into management. I didn't want to be in charge of things. And I always had a boss. I always had several bosses. I had my immediate boss, and then there's the, the, the boss's boss, and then there's the boss's, you know, the head of the company and so forth. And there were times, and, and because of the job that I had and because of my training and some natural engineering skill, a lot of times they basically let me do whatever I wanted to do, right? I had a task to do, Fred, get this done, I'd get it done. There were other times when the boss would call me in and say, you know what, you're going to do it this way. You're going to do it this way. Today you're going to do it this way. And most of us in our jobs, know that. And what do we say? We usually say, yes, sir. Because that's our job, right? But there's, I've seen, a, um, and it's a concern to me in the church more and more, there are many times when we get down to like Romans chapter 12 and, and Paul starts to say, okay, you know what? For all the things you might feel and you might think and all the experiences you've been to, there are some things you just got to start doing. Yeah. Right? And we go, oh, I don't know about that. I'm not really motivated. I'm not feeling it, bro. Mm -hmm. And I think I was talking to Steve about this because I've noticed Steve's very good at motivating us, motivating us intrinsically. Mm -hmm. Naturally, you know, it's funny. Last week, Steve actually called me up and he said, can you put together a lesson in case this baby comes early? Come on. So this lesson was actually all ready to go next last week. When, and I got here and I got to Steve. I go, Steve, you know, I got... Speaking envy here. Yeah. I'm ready to go. <laughs> and, uh, and I looked, and then Steve did this wonderful lesson. It was great, but it was so different than mine. I mean, it was just like night and day, the, the approach to it. And we had a good talk this week about it, and I think it's, it is really different. But I think one of the things that I've been trained over the years is, um, you know, I want to be motivated intrinsically also. But there are a lot of times when you just got to put the pedal to the metal and say, I'm going to do this because the Bible says so. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that's what Paul starts to do. He talks about not thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to. Being humble. 
uh, realizing that you're part of this body and that all the members of the body belong to each other. Wow, that's an intense idea. Facts. He talks about the different gifts that we have. You know, if you have a gift, use it. Right? Then he gets down to verse 9, and look what he says in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Oh, bro, my love isn't, oh, I'm not really feeling it. I'm not. Paul says it must be sincere. Make it sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to good what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. These are what we call imperatives, right? And we're used to a lot of imperatives, you know, uh, forgive one another, love one another deeply from the heart, uh, go pre preach the gospel in season and out of season, go make disciples. We, we as if we're trying to live the Christian life, we find that these sort of catchphrase imperatives rattle in our heads all day long. They keep us on the track, right? There's nothing wrong with them. But do we always live that way? No. I mean, that's what grace is about, right? Yeah. But they're there. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about this one, practice hospitality. Because, you know, Steve has been, uh, Steve has been uh, teaching about, we, on Wednesday night we had a session about the sort of different levels of fellowship. We had close fellowship, the closed circle. I know some of you weren't there, but the idea that there's a small group of people where there's a very, very close personal fellowship in the church, like this church, right? And then there's sort of a, the dotted circle, which is a, a fellowship that extends to people who are maybe spiritually interested, maybe coming and visiting with us, uh, people that we are, uh, are intimately involved with in some way that is not to church, right? Maybe people you work with. Uh, your family, your extended family, right? The family reunion, the kind of things like that. And then there's this half circle, which is the big world out there of all the people we pass on the sidewalk and that drive on the way to somewhere that are passing us in cars and things like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think that um, this whole idea is that Paul here says practice hospitality. And it's an interesting thing. I began looking up sort of these words, and the word to practice there, it means to eagerly seek after something or earnestly endeavor to acquire it. Wow. Okay? This is not just this is not just like practicing a violin. It's more like practicing a violin because you want to play in symphony hall. Mm -hmm. Right? And uh, it's interesting, it's only translated practice a couple times. Most of the time it's associated with persecution or going after something, and it's, and, and it's translated persecution several times because when people persecute other people, they're going after them, right? Yeah. That's the context, and it's used here. And then hospitality simply is, it, the word actually means to love strangers. Okay? It literally, it tr transliterated means to love the strangers. And so it, it means that what Paul is saying here is we need to be earnest about the effort. We need to be eagerly seeking to love people outside of our little group. Yeah. yeah. 
effects. Outside of our comfort zone, yeah. in places that we normally might not, um, might not think we have an obligation. But Paul says, this is an imperative. You know, I think it's really interesting uh, that if you look up hospitality in that word in the New Testament, there, there are several different references. I mean, we're ad, admonished in Hebrews chapter 13 to, to show hospitality to strangers because in doing so, you may be entertaining an angel. Well, that's, a, that's a freaky idea, right? <laughs> yeah. This person that we reach out to. First uh, Peter 1 and verse 4, Paul says, Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Okay, so there's that the motivation is, okay, I can, I can get myself all geared up to do this hospitality, but I wish you didn't have to do this. Now, why did Paul tell me I have to do this, you know? He says, do it without grumbling. Those of you who have kids, you know the verse, do everything without grumbling and complaining, right? Don't grumble and complain. And that's the way we need to be about our hospitality. Amen. Yeah. You know, what is hospitality? It's, it's in, our, in common vernacular, really, what Paul is talking about is inviting people into our lives to share what we have with them. Right. Right? It's extending our, whatever we have, whatever we've been blessed with, into the lives of other people. You know, that might be food. You know, food is sort of the universal lubricant. I mean, you offer a couple of single guys to come over for pizza, and you've got a friend for life. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. You uh, open your home. The number of people, the, the, it's amazing what food does. That's why food is. You ever notice at a party when you run out of food, the party's over? <laughs> that's, that's true, because people, because people rally around food. Uh, it might just be opening our home, right? Open your home to someone who hasn't seen your home. Uh, yeah. It's sharing our friends with other friends, right? Mm -hmm. uh, this is why when we, maybe you have dinner, you invite someone to come to dinner and you invite another friend to come to dinner so there are more friends and there's more of a community, right? Yeah. Our relationships, our salvation, our way of thinking, our worldview, this is all, these are all aspects of being hospitable, yeah. right? Um, and it's very simple that we take the things that have been given to us and we give them to other people. Yep. You know, I remember hearing an old preacher one time saying, I don't know how to define materialism, but I know when I'm guilty of it. Mm. And he says, you know, materialism is using, uh, using friends to get money, to get things, and the opposite of materialism is using money to get friends. And yeah. Jesus talked about that, right? He talked about the, the parable of, you know, the, the wise servant or the shrewd manager who went out and he used whatever he had to make friends in the world. We all go, what is that all about? It's hospitality for the sake of, of the community. You know, I think um, God has blessed us incredibly. Amen. And uh, even if we're not, it, it, blessing doesn't always mean having money and having lots of have it, but just having the blessing. And we, you know, we talk about counting your blessings and uh, being able to share what we have with other people, even when it's not much. In Luke chapter 6, you know, in verse 38, Jesus says, you know, give and it will be given to you, pressed down, shaken together, it'll overflow into your lap. 
And one of the things that's interesting about hospitality is that it is a sacrifice sometimes. It takes money, it takes time, it takes sharing of energy. But the thing about it is that it comes back to you. Amen. You know, one of the things I, I've made a point in my life of always, always setting aside. Now, I know tithing. Let me just say something about tithing. It's not a legalistic thing that we're required to do in the New Testament. But having made sort of a practice of it in my life, I can just tell you, you you're never going to be able to outgive God. And hosp showing hospitality to people is part of that blessing, right? I mean, you could, you could just give money to someone and say, go here, go get something to eat. Mm -hmm. But you could also invite them into your home. And the level of, of sacrifice is higher, but the level of benefit is even higher than that. That's right. You know, I remember hearing a story one time about, uh, you know, everybody has sort of a simple solution of how to fix the whole world, right? Mm -hmm. There are simple ideas. But one really intriguing one is that Whenever a child is born, you break their elbows and you fuse them. And therefore, nobody can feed themselves. Mm. In order to survive, you have to let other people feed you. Wow. Okay, it's radical, kind of grotesque. <laughs> but you know what? We, have, we get by giving. And when we did that, when we give, when we really give to other people in a healthy way, we get it back. Amen. You know, hospitality was one of the defining characteristics of the church. Look in Acts chapter 2. So in Acts chapter 2, the church has started. Lots of people who had come into town for the uh, Passover and then stayed through Pentecost suddenly found themselves swept into this church and not wanting to leave Jerusalem. And so what did the church do? It said, um, verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. This is, this is this hospitality in a large way. Everyone was filled with awe. There were miraculous signs and wonders done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and good they gave to anyone he has had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts, they broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. You know, I don't think it was an accident that they were enjoying the favor of all the people because they had open homes. They had open hearts. They had open wallets. They were sacrificing to meet the needs of lots of people who should have been going back home, right, to their jobs. And, and yet there were all these people that they were meeting the needs, and they were, they had, they were creating this micro-Eden with their hospitality. Now you look in the Old Testament. This, is not a new, this was not a new thing that happened just at the, when, when Jesus decided to come, right? You look in the Old Law, and people were required to be hospitable to strangers yep. many times. If someone came through your town, you were required to put them up for three nights. After three nights, you could say no more. But you were required in the law to show hospitality, even to strangers who came through your town. Right. You think about people like Abraham when the, when the angels appeared, right? He goes and got the fatty calf and, and says, let's, let's make a dinner for you, right? Mm -hmm. Lot, when the angels came to, to Sodom to see what was going on, 
They, they said, we'll spend the night in the square. And Lot said, no, 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 you need to come inside. You need to be with this. You need to be in my home. You go through the Old Testament, you'll find over and over and over again, this hospitality was characteristic and expected by God. Amen. Uh, I want to just share some simple things, sort of practical daily stuff from my own experience. I've uh, been doing this for 40 years or so. Um, in different levels, but I'd like to start where Steve started last week, and that is, it starts with prayer. Okay, sac you know, the sacrifice that's involved in being hospitable, it means even when you're tired, you know, making the effort, opening your home, uh, not being afraid, and a lot of that has to have be grounded in a strong spiritual relationship with God. Having that time of prayer, regular prayer, where you're just handing it over, handing over your fears, handing over your, the what inadequacies that you might feel toward doing this, stepping out, uh, praying for boldness, as Steve talked about last week, praying for sustenance. Do you remember the story about in Luke chapter 11 about the guy who is, has some friends coming into town and he's out of bread, so what does he do? He knows he needs to take care of them. He knows he needs to be hospitable. He needs bread. So he goes over to his neighbor's house at midnight. He's beating on the door. Can I have a loaf of bread? Because there are people coming into town and I have to be hospitable. Can you imagine what it must have felt? Would you, I mean, would you do that? But this is how much, how strongly he felt about the hospitality that he needed to offer. And of course, what the story goes on, the, the whole story is set up by is culminated where Jesus at the end said, listen, you know, God is a good God. Amen. If you go to him and knock on a door and ask for him for a loaf of bread, he's not going to give you a scorpion. If you ask him for an egg or you ask him for a fish, he's not going to give you a snake, right? Because God is a good God. And what we need to do, if we're struggling with this idea of hospitality, take it to God in prayer. Set it at the feet of Jesus and say, I want to be hospitable and struggle with it, wrestle with it, argue with God about it if you want to. The scriptures have, are not going to change because of the way you argue with God. Anyway. They're still here. We're expected to practice hospitality. Amen. Prayer, pray to learn how to be hospitable. Mm -hmm. Pray to have a heart of hospitality. Right. right? But do it with prayer. Don't be, don't be afraid to ask God for good things. God wants you to be hospitable too. Why is that? I mean, if you've ever had the effect of, uh, I've seen over the years how dramatic it is to have people into your home, or to even something as simple as just going and getting a cup of coffee with someone and paying for it, right? Mm -hmm. um, that's an act of hospitality. Yep. Yeah. But it really, really affects people. Yeah. It really is more compelling than almost any other invitation you have is to have people into your home. I remember, um, you know, on many occasions we've had people, and sometimes people come and, and they're not, they're genuinely not interested. But it can break the ice on people's hearts in a great way to just have people into your home. Amen. We're talking about table fellowship. Secondly, ask for help. If you're not confident that you know how to do this, you know, you're surrounded by people who know how to be hospitable in the church, right? You're not alone. People who aren't in the church, if they don't know how to be hospitable, they're just lost. They don't know what to do. Now, they might read a book 
about it, but that's not very compelling. That's somebody living on the other side of the country who you don't even know. But you know, in our fellowship, you're surrounded. You have the Giffords, you have the Owens, you have the Fowler, senior and junior, by the way. Um, you have the Gallons. Um, there are others here. Go to them and ask, what do you do? What should I do? You know, I have this couple I want to invite over. Can you give me some ideas how to make it really special? Um, if you are a little bit concerned about it, ask to go to their house. You know, if you're, I'll, I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're nervous about being hospitable, suppose you find this couple that you really want, you know, ask, ask somebody like us, or the, I know the Giffords would do this, I'm sure any of our other people would do this, say, can we bring them over to your house and have fellowship? if you're not confident about doing that in your own home yet, right? But learn from those experiences. Use the people. Um, practice hospitality with other disciples first. If you're insecure about uh, inviting a complete strangers or, or moderate strangers into your home, you know, even some of the people you work with every day are somewhat strangers compared to having them in your home, right? Um, If you if you uh, yeah if you're a little bit nervous about doing that you can have fellowship with people by just going to a restaurant together right if you're insecure about inviting them into your home go to a restaurant with them it's very much it's a very similar kind of experience in terms of fellowship I think the home is better but um, take the initiative. Um, hospitality is not that hard. It's really a matter of having the will to do it. Um, we, and it, we don't have to live, we don't have to have hospitality beyond our means, right? If we're living a faithful life as a disciple, our lives are gonna, make, are gonna be quite different than everybody else, and it will be attractive no matter what you have. Right? Yeah, yep. Um, open your home, okay? Oh, start working on opening your home. Maybe you say, ah, oh, yeah. I couldn't possibly invite anybody to live in my house. I live in a single household, and it's, you know, I just couldn't invite, nobody would be impressed with our household. That you can change. You know, I, I was single for probably five years in the church before Ellen and I got married, and um, I lived in a single household, and we, we kept it clean. Uh, we worked hard to make it a place where we could invite people in. We had people over. We invited people over to, to be part of what we were. And yes, we had to work at it. And yes, it was a sacrifice. Yes, it took more time to make my home with the brothers I was living with some place that we could invite people comfortably. Mm -hmm. But that's part of being hospitable. And it'll make your life better to do that. I remember one time, uh, this is really funny actually, uh, Pat and Bob Gemple, they were, um, Bob was an elder in the church, and Pat was out of town, so living in the single brother's household, we, we decided to invite Bob over for dinner. <laughs> so we invited him over for dinner, and at the time, one of the guys I was living with had this, this glass. It was a cut, it was a, just a normal drinking glass, but it had a little cut glass design in it, and it was designed so that the cuts at the top actually slightly went through the glass so that when you drank out of it, it would run out and <laughs> run down your chin. 
And so he says, oh, we got to do this to Bob. <laughs> so we have, have the elder of the church over, right? Very, very meticulous, thoughtful guy. He goes to drink the water. He keeps doing this with his church. And, you know, but it was really fun. I mean, you can do that, right? This is the family of God. <laughs> You know, if one of the single brothers invited me over for dinner and they gave me a dribble glass, I'd have something to tell, a story to tell. It'd be great. This is the fellowship that we need to have. Don't be ashamed of what you have. Don't be ashamed of what you don't have. In terms of sort of physical space and so forth. Yeah, make it clean, make it hospitable. But what you have, what you carry with you and what you have to give people goes so far beyond just what your place looks like. Yeah, right? thanks. And you can fix it up. Don't set up pretenses. Don't, don't pretend that you're something that you're not. Amen. Be genuine. Be yourself. That will impress people more than any other thing that you can have. Your sincerity will go a long way. That's right. Yes, it's going to take sacrifice. It is. Um, you know, when I was... At the time that I, this story I'm telling you about, I was working at a bakery. Now this was 40 years ago, but I was making $60 a week. And we still, and the brothers that I was living, we were living with, you know, we were, that we were all kind of just sort of surviving. But we found ways to sacrifice yeah. so that we could be hospitable with people. Um, You know, I, I think that in terms of living what you have, you know, Jesus is out on the mountainside, 5,000 people out there listening to him. And he tells the disciples, okay, it's time to eat. Get, give them something to eat. And they're like, what on earth? And so he says, well, what do we have? And they said, well, we got five loaves and we got two fish. Now, Jesus was able to do a miracle, but he worked with what he had, right? You know, if you invited someone over for dinner and it was genuine and you had, all you had was bread and fish and nicely done and, and in an atmosphere of love and concern and real genuine spiritual hospitality will go a long way. Mm -hmm. I've been invited to people's houses for a meal and all we had was soup. I remember I worked at a scout camp one, one year and, well, five years. And at the scout camp, we had this, the kids would, would learn patrols, right? This, the troop would come, and the troop would have four or five patrols, and the patrols were like six or eight guys. And these are, I mean, guys I'm talking about 11 to 15-year-old boys, right? And the way it worked was they actually had to cook in their campsite. There was no big mess hall where they came and ate. They would come down to the commissary and get this pack, and they'd go back to their campsite, and they, these 11 and 15-year-old kids trying to cook dinner underneath a tarp in the rain over an open fire, right? Well, you can imagine what some of those meals were like. <laughs> but we had, we had a rule. The staff had a rule. First of all, on Monday and Tuesday, we all ate with the scouts in their sites no matter what. And then the rule was that if you got invited, if you got invited to eat 
with a beyond that on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, if you got invited, you could not refuse. Okay, so I, I just worked in the Scoutcraft area, which was not a big deal, but the guys who were on the waterfront, the bronze gods, the, the guys who did the swimming and the boating and the canoeing, they got invited out every night. And they were like starving. And they went back because, you know, but you know what? We need, we need to have sort of this, we need to have to accept whatever you get. If we get invited, you know, Jesus invited himself to dinner in some places, like Zacchaeus. And Jesus got invited to dinner in some places. And some places they weren't even, not the best motives, and they may not have had the best food. But you know, Jesus accepted it gracefully. Um, we needed to accept hospitality from other people. Nothing's worth, I know it sometimes we feel, we feel really happy when we can serve other people, but we don't let people serve us. Mm. Jesus cut both ways, and hospitality works both ways, right. Yeah. right? And I'm saying this because I think one of the things we need to we can start in the church, certainly just being hospitable with one another first. If you're uncomfortable bringing your neighbors in, start with each other. Thanks. And don't refuse the hospitality that's being offered to you. Yeah. I mean, it, when, when I've observed over the years that when... If I refuse to let you serve me, I'm teaching you not to be, to be not a servant. Right. Jesus let himself be served. Right. I mean, he's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of heaven and earth and everything else. And yet he let himself be served by other people. And that's partly hospi hospitality also. Yeah. Hospitality is not just for the women. Amen. We'll make this really clear, okay? Yeah. Well, we think hospitality, it's sort of like, oh, you know, I'd like to invite this couple over. Can you do dinner? For, you know, can, can you arrange dinner for us? And my wife is like, ah. Um, you know what? Guys can learn to cook. Facts. Most of you guys, if you went out and got a simple cookbook and just started doing some of the recipes, Cooking is simpler than most of what you do for a living. <laughs> I'm serious. It's not that hard. It may not be the best the first time you do it, but any one of you in here could do filet mignon by simply going and investing a little bit, a little bit of cash and a little bit of effort. You just, that's what cookbooks are for, right? And there are books. There are books written about hospitality. You can learn. You can learn from other people. But let's let's do this, guys. You need to be hospitable also. Mm -hmm. You need to initiate hospitality. Yeah. It's not just your wife's job. Okay. You can set the calendars. You need to lead the way. You need to learn how to clean up after being hospitable. Come on. Okay. Not being afraid to be the one doing the dishes. Talk to us, Fred. Talk to us. Okay. There are any number of things I'm sure your minds can go further than I'm, I have time to get into, but, but let's take this initiative, right? This is not that complicated. It's something which is very human, I'm saying very, very health, healthy for a community to be hospitable with each other, with outsiders, with, even with strangers as they were in the Old Testament. You know, uh, Hospitality is something which is characteristic of all disciples of Jesus. 
because we are disciples of Jesus, we're trying to be as he was, and he was hospitable. The church was described in Acts chapter 4 as a place where there was no needy person among them. And that was because of partly internal hospitality, but they also reached out to outsiders. And we need to be able to serve the kingdom first and realize that God will take care of us. God will make up the difference to whatever we give. You know, if, 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 some, if one of you said, listen, I've got this couple coming over on Wednesday night and I don't, I don't have enough money to pay for food, come and talk to me. You know, I, I serve at a, a Stroudwater food pantry over here. I want to know I do. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pounds of food goes through there being given to anybody who needs it. And you know, we have had situations where someone said, I have this special dinner planned. I'm not sure exactly how to fund it. I can get, move, I can get food from the food pantry, or I will help you get food. Don't be hospitable because you can't afford it. The church is capable of supplying that. There are people yep. in this church that will help you be hospitable if you want to be. Absolutely. At many levels. How to do it, how to do it well, um, even providing the needs under different circumstances. We're going to do communion a little differently today. And here's, look in Luke chapter 22. <coughs> You know, in Luke chapter 22, it's interesting, I thought that Steve was going to steal my thunder there in John 17. <laughs> but in Luke 22, we find the story of the Last Supper. You know, Jesus said that there, he says in, in verse 14, when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Now that's not the same eager desire of, of, that is the word for um, practice hospitality. It's not the same. But you can see Jesus' heart was, he says, I want to be with you in a hospitable situation. I want a meal together. I want it to be private. I want this fellowship to be intense. <coughs> For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. He took bread and gave it thanks and he broke it and he gave it to them. This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray you is on the table, with mine on the table. The Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but woe to the man who betrays him. You know, this Last Supper was sort of the ultimate hospitality. Jesus took the effort. He sent his disciples into Jerusalem. He told them how to prepare it, uh, that the brothers were all being hospitable. They got it all set up. And they, they came away, Jesus came in, they all got together. And it was a fellowship time. It was a table fellowship. And they shared in the cup. And they shared in the bread. 
And uh, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And we do that. That's what we do. Yeah. Right? We remember it. And so at some, at some level, the, the Lord's Supper that we celebrate is a fellowship time. Paul says, when, we are, when we're taking it together, make sure you discern the body of Christ rightly in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Otherwise, um, you know, if you don't serve it rightly, you, you're sinning against the blood and the, the body and the blood of Christ, yeah. right? And he's talking about the body of the church, and I believe that what that communion was is that people sat and they thought, okay, I'm looking at my brother, I'm looking at my sister, these are all, this is the closed, intense fellowship that we share in the blood of Christ, and it's a special thing. So what I'd like to do this morning, it's a little different, is we're gonna break up, sometimes as we do, into groups of five people today, more five people, and we all have little cups, I understand people's reaction to the city cups. <laughs> but the way I'd like to do it is to sit in a small circle, look at each other, and just remember, you're part of this incredible body, right? You are the body of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. And the way I'd like to do this is that, you know, that you take the little top thing here and you peel it back and there's a little wafer. <laughs> peel it back sort of halfway and then hand it to the person to the right and let them take the wafer, okay? So now you're sharing, right? Mm. And then you get the little cup and then you open the... You open up the juice, the little substitute for the wine there, and hand it to the person to your right and let them partake after you've given it to them. Okay? Cool. And to really think while you're doing this, you know, I am sharing, I am doing table fellowship with my brother, with my sister here. Mm -hmm. And that we, we have such an incredible common bond. And the sharing of hospitality, being hospitable, even at that level, is significant to the church. And, be, and then when you get in your group, maybe have somebody pray before you start. Have someone pray um, for, the, for the communion together. And, and let's just celebrate. When you're done, enjoy the fellowship. We're going to have a song afterwards. Okay. After we're all done, um, there's no specific agenda about what you can share, but just share with each other a little bit about what this means, and then we'll have a final song to, to close out. The, the Amen. Okay, thank you. Great.